Hello everyone, this is Nick Babai here, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Rational Standard Podcast, How to Build the Roads. In this episode, I talk to Martin van Staden. Now, in the South African libertarian scene, Martin's a very well-known name. He is naturally the editor-in-chief of rationalstandard.com, as well as being editor-in-chief of beinglibertarian.com, an American libertarian website, uh, which has since grown to become very, very well-known and very successful. Uh, Martin is also currently a legal researcher at the Free Market Foundation, and uh, broadly speaking, he is one of the guys in South Africa who I think is very well knowledge about libertarian theory, and I think his opinions about things are always very well thought out and very intelligent, and so I was very happy to talk to him today about a number of issues. We spoke about the land issue in South Africa, which has been on our news, and also the Democratic Alliance, who have recently had a policy conference, uh, were discussed at great length, and criticized, I should also say, quite greatly by Martin, but I'll leave you to listen to his own thoughts. Uh, If you want to follow us on Twitter, follow us at Rational Stand, give Rational Standard a like on Facebook or join up on our email list on the website. If you want to follow me, follow me on Twitter at Nick Babaya, N-I-C-K-B-A-B-A-Y-A. Otherwise, tune in for some more episodes. I think we've got some interesting stuff coming up soon, although I won't say specifically but please enjoy this episode where I have a very interesting conversation with Martin von Staden. Martin, thanks very much for coming onto the show to discuss some issues in South Africa. How are things on your side there? Uh, well, busy as always uh, since uh, late February when this uh, land expropriation, well, all property expropriation without compensation thing uh, was announced. My uh, work schedule became fully filled up, so it's it's been hectic since then. Are you st- yeah, it's it's otherwise it's going well. Are you still at the Free Market Foundation? Yeah, I'm I'm still at the Free Market Foundation. Uh, so we're we're in the forefront of of um, this whole battle between the forces of freedom and authoritarianism, and uh, we're much uh, I would say more inferiorly equipped than our opponents are. So yeah, it's it's hard work. Yeah, I can imagine. So well, look, I mean, the Free Market Foundation is an organization of which I'm a massive fan, so I always appreciate the work you guys do. And we'll touch on the issue of land a little bit later in the show. Uh, it's obviously a, a massive issue, and it's it's really, well, I won't jump the gun here, but, you know, the first thing I thought we'd talk about is, you know, we've got another election coming up soon, uh, and uh, I think this is a really serious one, given recently what has happened just after Cyril Ramaphosa became our new president. So, you know, I've been weighing up the various options of who to vote for. And unfortunately, in South Africa, you basically have to choose between a list of left-wing parties and, and find which one is the least left-wing, um, with one exception. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the first thing I was going to ask you is, you know, in this, in this next election, I think normally I'm a, I'm a strong believer that you should really vote your conscience and that you should really find the party or the candidates wherever you are, depending on how your electoral system works which most suits your views. However, in light of Ramaphosa's comments about land expropriation without conversation and the parliamentary resolution that we had, I'm afraid to say that this next election has become about one issue for me. And quite simply, I think this is too important not to be a single issue election on. And I'm going to find the party which I think is going to most ardently defend property rights and has the best chance of, of gaining seats. So that's basically my what the basis for what I uh, my vote is next year. And what about yourself? What do you think about that? I agree completely. Uh, this, and and let me put it out there that I think this is definitely a 
expropriation is a part of the election campaign. It's nothing else. So it seems like the ANC is uh, coming around to saying they won't amend the constitution, which is great. But whatever they decide, I think this is all part of their strategy for next year. And they're going to do this while they're in government and they have the resources. They're going to do this before every election. So in times past, as well, it was all about race and so forth. Now it's uh, expropriation. So I'm... We are sheep, uh, and we are being led uh, astray by our politicians, and I'm perfectly happy to admit that. So yes, I'm going to be a single-issue voter. I'm voting for the protection of property rights, and that's probably how it's going to be in every election from now on, because I expect the ANC, if they do not amend the Constitution, to say that they are going to expropriate property without compensation every five years from now on, uh, <laughs> until they do or until yeah. they uh, they lose an election and then uh, things can return to a bit more normal but yeah so i'm i'm definitely a single issue voter i'm happy to say who i think i'm gonna vote for uh, that will be the freedom front plus they have been from my observations the only party that has stuck to the message of property rights consistently they're not they are not libertarian uh, i I think some people have told me, yeah, but the Freedom Front Plus isn't libertarian. They're not liberal. No, they, absolutely not. They believe, yeah, they believe some kooky uh, religious stuff. And I say this as a religious person. Uh, I, they're not a great choice. But when we talk about property rights, I think out of the menu of parties that are available, they are the only people who are going to keep their hands off property uh, and they're not going to try and modify it. They're not going to try and take it away. They're just going to leave it alone. I only trust them with that. I know COPE and the ACDP and the DA also voted against expropriation without compensation. But after the IFP voted for it, my trust levels in any uh, policy position of any party are very low. So I am not convinced that COPE... um, in principle, believes in property rights. It may be that their current leader, uh, who, who uh, really stood up in Parliament uh, for property rights, which was great. I think he's done. He, yeah. He's. Uh, I don't know. He, he seems to be a bit of a pariah now among the the trendy tyrants. But yeah. So he stood up, and, and but I think that if he goes away, then Cope will just uh, vote with whatever trend there is. I I can't confirm that, but that's the feeling I'm getting. Uh, the ACDP, it's it's a very. Uh, I don't know where they stand so, on a lot of things. They seem to come round in, yeah. in in our political news whenever we start talking about Israel, because they're the only party that'll actively yeah. defend Israel. But I mean, they are a bit ambivalent otherwise. Yeah, I, I like that they support Israel. I'm a I'm a big Israel supporter. Uh, I like that they supported property rights. Uh, I heard a talk by their leader um, the other day. He's also very much. Uh, in favor of property rights, but again, if he leaves and he's not a young a young chap, uh, who is to say what's coming up after him? And I know uh, for a fact that their national chairperson, I don't do not recall her name. Uh, she is a white lady um, who believes in the whole uh, white privilege, male privilege, uh, postmodernist narrative. Oh, She's very much into that. That's the national chairperson of the ACDP, so I cannot vote for someone who allows someone who believes in that to get that far in in their party ranks. And of course, I, at this stage in my my thinking, I cannot bring myself to vote for the Democratic Alliance. I I, I like what I've been seeing recently, I like it a lot. 
Um, but then again, I, I've also seen among their youth leaders who are the next <laughs> generation of, of uh, DA leaders, it's not a classical liberal slate. Uh, most of them, uh, or most of these who seem to be uh, climbing the ranks, seem to be completely left-wing. And I don't mean center-left. They are left. Uh, they believe in the, the, the socialist narrative. Some of them uh, came out against this new resolution by the DA to uh, provide for job secrets exemption certificates from Indeed. the national minimum wage, which is... Oh, if there is a word for that, it's progressive. It is a progressive <laughs> policy because it's all about ensuring that the unemployed, the weakest class imaginable currently in South Africa, can get a job. It is an extremely progressive policy. And these socialists are coming out against it. They're DA card-carrying members in leadership positions. They are against that. And yeah, I've interacted with these people. They they do not believe in individual freedom as you and I understand. So I have very little confidence in the future of the DA. Uh, I don't think they're going to stay as committed to property rights as they currently are when the current generation of leaders uh, moves, moves away. Um, and they will become left-wing unless there's some intervening event in between which is also possible but yeah so that's basically my thinking why i'm why the uh the freedom front plus is is uh the the party that i think i'm gonna vote for is something may change but yeah they don't have a great history they are the, the descendants of the erstwhile conservative party yeah which uh which was the apartheid party they wanted they thought the national party was was too uh, too progressive, too liberal, and that and tells you something. <laughs> yes, yeah, but but luckily they don't seem to want apartheid back. They they're very much about uh, protecting the Afrikaners. Uh, but that's a complete aside to me. Uh, what I am gonna vote for them for is I know that they are not gonna try and touch the property rights provision, and that is really the most important thing currently. Uh, on the political menu in South Africa. Yeah, well, look, I 100% agree there. And I think ever since that resolution passed in our parliament and it became a but it turned to sort of DEFCON 1, you know, I've also taken this view that this next election, in my opinion, is too important not to be a single election. I mean, property rights is just something which is so fundamentally base, basic to the prosperity of humanity. I can't think of a single society on earth which has not prospered without some sort of property rights. And it would just be... It, it seems insane. I mean, you know, the thing which makes me nervous is that I don't see, I think you were, you made an interesting point earlier when you said you thought it was just a, a bit of a campaign point for the ANC, because no doubt their vote share will increase. And, and in my view, I think the EFF is going to take a bit of a knock from this. And the reason I think that's the case is the phenomena of the EFF. So in other words, a splinter party coming out from the, from the majority party, which is more extreme in their ideology, is something which we can look to Europe to see many times. And I think it's quite interesting to compare the rise of the EFF to the rise of, of UKIP in the United Kingdom, uh, where you had this sort of contingent of the uh, Conservative Party, which you know, was a, one of the two major parties in the UK, which was Eurosceptic. Uh, but not enough. It wasn't like a major political talking point. And then all of a sudden UKIP came and they won a European election and they became the third largest party. They overtook the Liberal Democrats. And so David Cameron became very pressured on the Eurosceptic question. And he, he finally said, fine, we'll allow for a referendum on whether or not to leave the EU. 
Um, I hate to go off topic here, but it seems to be a similar thing uh, that is happening now with the EFF and the ANC. Oh, by the way, after that referendum happened and uh, the UK voted to leave, UKIP's popularity was absolutely decimated because their reason for existence and for support in the first place uh, went away. Now, likewise, EFF from day one has been talking about white monopoly capital and uh, land, you know, take back the land, obviously for themselves, but people fail to read their <laughs> manifesto, which is online. And I would suggest that anybody listening to this go to the EFF's website and just uh, go on the drop-down menus and read their policy on land. And you'll see for ex- the, yourselves what they actually want. Um, but I think that now the ANC has seen the rise of the EFF and the threat which the more extreme left-wingers in this country have to their popularity. They're going for this, and the EFF will take a bit of a dive, in my opinion. Uh, but to, it'll be, you know, to the ANC. I don't really see the EFF support going anywhere else. Uh, anyway, as, as for who I'm voting for... Um, originally, I was in the same camp as you. I, th- I looked at the political parties. I was considering the IFP, and then they voted for the resolution, and so that went out the window. I was looking at COPE a little bit. I was really impressed with the way Mosiwa Lakota was speaking from the lectern and in Parliament. You know, in, in today's age where we have in South Africa ethnic nationalism as a legitimate political ideology, it was really, really encouraging for me to see Lakota stand up on the, the lectern there and say, Mr. President, who are our people? That was just such a, I thought that the speech he gave was so powerful and obviously he got heckled for it to death and, you know, but poor guy. But I was really impressed by that. But unfortunately, COPE is, once again, it's like one of these good governance parties. It's like, yeah, vote for us yeah. and we will out of the corruption and we will get things done. Like, eh, yeah, no thanks. Not, not quite good enough. <laughs> Um, DA, so that left the DA. Uh, You know, I have to be honest. I think the DA's response to the resolution when it was passed in Parliament was freaking horrendous, man. I mean, this is something so serious. And this opposition party's best response was, uh, it will not be conducive to a growing economy. (laughs) I mean, can you believe it? It's like going at slavery. I don't think we should have slavery. It's it's not conducive to a, a growing economy. You know, it's it's like the most sissy response you can give to something which is just an extremely big issue. Well, should be an extremely big issue. And no doubt they're doing yeah. it to sort of save face. But, I mean, that gave, that got a 1 out of 10 from me. So I think the DA was very low in my book initially, and that left the Freedom Front Plus as the last available option. However, now I know you've said your skepticism is about the DA, but I have to be perfectly honest, after their recent policy uh, conference... Well, they've said a few things. They've said they're now pro a, a job seeker certificate for uh, people to exempt themselves from the minimum wage, uh, as well as they said they are going to they are in favour now of keeping the current the current property rights clause in the constitution. That's good enough for me. I don't see much reason to kind of have a major problem with the DA, and I'm I'm talking purely on on property rights here. I think. To sort of have a big, you know, after that policy conference, um, they're back in the running for me. Let me let me put it that way. Um, do you yeah. do you think I'm being unre- unreasonable here? Let me ask you that. So one of my, I I'm definitely also going to be a single issue voter, but I have a little bit of an agenda as well going into next next year's election. Yeah. And that is, I think it's very important for the Democratic Alliance to get some kind of punishment. <laughs> uh, yes. If it increases, if it increases its vote share, then I believe one hundred percent 
that they are going to say, oh, okay, so our populism or our, uh, uh, our experimentation of populism over the last couple of years, it has paid off. It's worked. We don't need these old liberal nonsense principles. Who needs principles and values? We can just uh, appeal to good governance and say how terrible the ANC is, and people will vote for us. Brilliant. The free ticket to, uh, to governance, and we can continue with our very authoritarian policies in where we govern, and, and nobody's going to punish us for that. So I believe the DA needs to be punished. Um, it's, it's very important because we need a liberal party in South Africa. The DA has historically, uh, basically for all of South Africa's modern history, occupied that position since the, uh, when was the PFP formed? In the 70s. 1970s, the, the yeah. DA has, yeah, it has occupied that position of a liberal party. I don't see another liberal party that can come about in South Africa. Uh, the IFP, when you read its policies, is the strongest party when it comes to property rights and free markets. The, the absolute strongest party, but they do not care what their own policy says. They just do what they want in parliament. So the, the IFP is clearly not a, a, an alternative to the DA as a liberal party. The DA is where it's at, and I need, I believe they need to be punished and reminded in the next election. We do not approve of where this party is going. We wanted to not uh, to... And, and, and I think what you just said about the DA's response to the property, uh, yeah. property expropriation notion, uh, that, that's part of a deeper problem, and that is that the DA really enjoys, on a base, on a very principled level, accepting the premises of the left. So they will come out and say, yes, no, we don't agree with your conclusion, but we completely agree with your starting point. And there is a lot of problems with that. So they believe that property rights are key to a, a growing economy, but they completely ignore the moral issue. So they've already essentially said that, yeah, I mean, freedom of speech is very important morally, but property rights, yeah, it's a, it's an economy thing. Uh, let's just get that right and ensure that the economy grows. So they've already accepted the premise that there is a difference between human rights and uh, property rights. Uh, some clinical thing that doesn't really matter. And uh, when you <laughs> yeah. look at their rhetoric, you can just see that they accept the premises of the ANC. And I mean, it's it's no better manifested than this Winnie Mandela thing. Now, I, I have a little bit of a rule to stay out of the Winnie Mandela thing. Yeah, me but too. Uh, just, just to draw attention to a thing that the DA did is that in 1999, and Gareth van Onselen wrote an article about this in Politics Web recently, uh, in 1999, when the Democratic Alliance was still the Democratic Party, it had its, its campaign in, in 1999 was to some extent built around opposing Winnie Mandela. They said this woman needs to say, stay out of power because she's terrible. Vote for us. So now we're... For 20 years, about 20 years later, now when Mandela is uh, a brave and courageous great woman, according <laughs> to Moisimayamane. So for some reason, the, the institutional memory in the DA is gone. It's, it's just gone. They don't, they don't recall their own liberal history. And when you talk, I mean, I for some reason, I gravitate towards these uh, DA uh, um, groups uh, where some of their higher level... Uh, people are involved. When you talk to some of these people, you you quickly notice that you are not really talking to a liberal. So I think there are classical liberals in the DA who are keeping the party, we can say, on the reservation of liberalism. They're on the edge. 
But the moment these, and I mean, it's a very small group. Well, the moment they leave and they're do you old, think? Sorry to interrupt. Very old, yeah. Sorry to interrupt, Kudi. Do you think that there are classical liberals who, who occupy who occupy the higher you know positions of the DA, like members of parliament, even? Or do you think it's mostly? Oh just yes. sort of, Oh, okay. That's good. No, no, there, there's members of the parliament. There is definitely a, a faction, uh, not, not a teeny tiny faction, a, a respectable amount of DA members who are really their classic liberals. Uh, they obviously won't say so, which to me is perhaps the gravest tragedy of the DA. Uh, the faction that needs to be making the most noise is completely silent, but of course they don't want to lose their jobs and uh, they. I guess they misunderstand uh, the political reality of South Africa. For some reason, it seems that uh, electoral scientists or whatever, uh, these consultants, they I think they are telling the DA, listen, if you don't go socialist, people are going to leave you. So to me, that's, that's incredibly racist. I mean, there is this underlying assumption that black people equal socialists. For some reason, if you're black, you have to be a socialist. And therefore, if we want black voters, we need to be more socialist. I mean, that's that's ludicrous to me. I don't know why the DA can't say, hey, we have a liberal idea. Let's market it to the people, convince them that it's a good idea. And then they'll vote for us. I don't know why that is not present in the, the discourse around the DA. So, yeah, so they, they probably sincerely believe that if they make their liberal views if they manifest them more strongly, they'll lose votes. So yeah, they're there. Uh, but I think when they leave, they're not young by any means. And they're probably going to leave within the next decade at least uh, because the younger DA people are moving up now. When they leave, I don't think there's going to be any force in the DA keeping it uh, going towards the liberal side of things. So yeah, I think the DA needs to be punished uh, because, I mean, there's quite a bit of liberals in South Africa uh, yeah, uh, maybe, they, maybe they don't know they're liberals. You work for them. Apology. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so the the point is that these liberals need to withhold their vote. They're the, they they form the core constituency of the DA, I believe. They need to withhold their vote from the DA so that the DA can lose a few seats in parliament and realize that they've been going down the wrong road. Uh, yeah, it's great what they did at at yesterday's and uh, today's uh, conference. policy conference. Uh, it's great, uh, but I don't see them sticking to that. And uh, I, I think we're going to send a bad message if uh, we vote for them and they increase their vote share. Uh, so, no, rather, I'm, I'm, I think at this stage, I mean, things can change. They may, there may be a, rev, a liberal uprising within the DA. Then I'll definitely vote for them if, if that works. But uh, at this stage, no, I still think that they need to be taught a lesson uh, in the election. And, uh, yeah, so that's why I'm going to go with the, the Freedom Front. I mean, they have seats in Parliament. They, they've they been consistent about property rights. They're very uh, – that's probably their single issue. Yeah. They talk about language and all these other things, but property rights, really, they – that, that seems to be their single issue. Uh, so that's quite important to me. And I think, yeah, it's it's a safe bet that if I vote for them, I will truly be voting for a group of people who who believe in, in the, the morality of property rights and, and that they won't they won't touch the the constitution when it comes to property rights. If the others, I can't guarantee that, especially not uh, going forward, even after next year's election. Yeah, look, I think you you make an excellent point there about sort of punishing the DA. Uh, once again, I'm, I'm a bit of a boff for European politics, and this is something which has happened time and time again, as you 
you see the rise of one of these smaller third parties who may get about 7 to 12% of the votes and, and they start leeching off the vote share of another one and then the, the, one of the, the larger party is forced to sort of re-examine its ways. The DA has not gone down in its vote share since... Since I'm not sure when, the 90s perhaps, I'm going to have to double-check the facts on that. But they really Yeah, since have... democracy it has only ever increased its voting share. So since I, I don't think that's the quite... 1994 election. I don't know if that's true. I think there may be one election either in the early 2000s or in the 90s. I just seem to remember seeing this. It was like after they had a controversial yeah, campaign. Yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know about that. As far as I know, it's, it's increased its voting share every single time. Well, yeah. certainly in the but last... Yeah, te- uh, you know... In, in, in my memory, they've never gone down. They've only gone to, from strength to strength, and that seems to be a little bit exponential, actually. I think certainly after the last local government elections when they won the metros, there is a great danger with the DA of getting the party's bigwigs to say, hey, what we're doing is working. We need to just do this more, and we need to go more extreme on it. And I, have to be honest, I think you've made a very strong... You, you've almost convinced me right right now just sitting not to vote for them because they do need to be punished and they do need to sort of have a bit of a wake-up call that, you know, yeah. if, if you're going to just advocate bad policy so you can get votes, well, why are you getting votes in the first place? What the hell is your message? You know, it's, it's, it's a really horrible way, which is also part of the reason I'm very much looking forward to the next episode of the Renegade Report when they're going to interview Tony Leon. Um, I, yeah. I can't wait to hear that. I really hope he, he can speak his mind now that he's been out of mainstream politics a little bit. Um, I think, unfortunately, you know, you mentioned this liberal contingent of DA voters. You know, I have to be perfectly honest. I think a lot of DA voters are not people like us who do research on a political ideology. You know, you and I can say we're libertarians. We know the literature of libertarianism. We know the sort of core facets of it. I almost feel like a lot of DA voters are just people who are, you know, I wouldn't say apolitical, but they're looking for an opposition, and they don't really have an an ideological structure. They don't really think in terms of, I believe in this, this, and this. They think it's more like I I will vote for the party that can govern well and will get rid, of, will will beat the ANC basically. Uh, the problem is that you it, it's no use beating the ANC if you're going to replace the ANC with the ANC 2.0. So that is also a great yeah. danger. And, um, you know, I think I'm also intending towards voting for the Freedom Front. As you said, they're by no means a libertarian party. Um, but it, it's a sound vote in favor of property rights. And that's all that matters, really. I've been telling my American friends, and there's been a lot of, you know, misinformation on the land expropriation issue. Unfortunately, I've seen multiple false reports, well, not false, but just making glaring mistakes, which could be corrected if they just did a tiny bit of research about the issue of land expropriation in South Africa. Uh, But it's, you know, people listening to this, it it all comes down to whether or not two-thirds of our National Assembly is in favor of this. That's all the next election is worth, because if they are, we are going to be like Zimbabwe in the early to mid-2000s. And um, that's, I've got nothing really to say. I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy choice, people. Come on. Um, I wanted to move a little bit to the DA's recent uh, policy conference. I think it's a little bit early. We'll see a few. We've already seen a few policies that they've come out with. But now, you've obviously gone on a, a bit of a criticism of the DA here, and I think it's it's not unwarranted. I think I certainly agree with what you're saying. That being said, I was really uh, positively encouraged by what came out of that positive uh, policy conference. They seem to be. You know, it, it gave me hope that there is still a, a perhaps a more silent contingent 
in the DA that holds real liberal positions. And that is evident, I think, in things such as they said they go to they want to keep the property rights clause in the in the constitution. Um, was there? Oh yes, uh, exemption from the minimum wage. I mean, that's really excellent. And I mean, that is you know, if we could get that go to go through, it wouldn't even matter. I don't think that we'd have a minimum wage. It would almost completely nullify its negative effects. Uh, maybe you could tell me if I'm if I'm getting that wrong. Do you not think that after a policy conference like that, you may be a little bit more encouraged that the DA might still be a party where a libertarian can say, yeah, you know, I'll be happy with my vote for them? Because that's kind of what I'm feeling like. I'm feeling it's going in a, in a at least a good direction from there. Um, so let me just uh, do talk about the exemption certificate first. Yes. A lot of people, especially in the... Uh, in the DA, that's what I've been seeing. The, the young guys who study at the University of Cape Town, oh, yeah, they yeah. really need to shut that place down, for goodness sake. <laughs> uh, but these people, they they think that this is a, a terrible exploit. They, they, it amounts to uh, essentially circumventing the minimum wage. That is not how an exemption certificate works. An exemption certificate is when you're unemployed. You do not have a job. You are earning zero rand every month, every week. You have absolutely nothing. And when you want to get a job, the employer says, I would love to give you a job, but I am not going to pay you who do not have any skills. You do not have a matric certificate. I'm not going to pay you what the minimum wage is. I would love to pay you a little bit less. And then in a year or so, we can talk about uh, increasing your, your wage uh, when you've uh, gained a bit of experience on the job. But I cannot out, of, out the door pay you that amount. I'm sorry. Goodbye. That, and the exemption certificate is going to allow that person if, and I, I think I read this in the motion or in a summary of the motion, if a person has been unemployed for 12 months, i.e. he's been looking for a job for 12 months and he has been unable to get a job, he is earning nothing, he's getting zero rent, then he can apply for a job seeker's exem exemption certificate that says that you are exempted from the minimum wage and perhaps some provisions of the Basic Conditions of Employment Act. And... As a result, you and your, your uh, prospective employer can enter into any type of agreement as long, of course, it complies with the common law and all these things. And uh, you can be paid whatever is agreed. There we go. You will no longer earn zero rand. You earn something, and that may build up until you eventually earn more money. That does not mean the minimum wage is being rejected. It means that for a while, I guess the, the certificate will only be... Uh, uh, active for a year or maybe two years. After that, your employer will need to pay you the minimum wage. This is a, a, a measure that is aimed at ensuring that the unemployed get paid a uh, something. Get paid something. They, yeah. they need a, people need a job. We have 9.4 million unemployed people in this country. They need jobs, whatever is being paid. So people already have jobs. They still need to be paid the minimum wage. And it's, it's key to emphasize this. A job seeker's exemption certificate is not going to rob people who already have jobs from the minimum wage. They will still be paid that they have to be paid at. And no, they, an employer cannot fire them and say, come back with a job seeker's exemption certificate because you need to be unemployed for 12 months before you can get some job seeker's exemption certificate. So if employers want to do that, they'll need to fire their employees, wait a whole year without doing anything, and then they can come back and then they can pay them less. That is going to be 
a complete abuse of the process. No government is going to allow that if they have minimum wage. And it's not possible commercially if you have to wait 12 months. So that problem is gone. There is absolutely nothing bad about a job seeker's exemption certificate. Like I said earlier, it's a completely progressive policy. Communists, socialists, all these people need to be very excited about this as a policy because it is only pro-poor. It is not pro-business because, uh, like I said, you can't get around the minimum wage only for giving jobs to the unemployed, which is going to only help them. So, yeah, it's it's completely irrational for these trendy tyrant bloody leftists to come out against job seeker exemption certificate when it's such an, an obviously progressive policy. Okay, yeah. so. Yes. Uh, Thank you for clarifying that, by the way. I think a lot of people didn't really know what this entails, but from what you've now explained, yeah. it's, I mean, for me, it's almost a little bit comical because if they even need one, well, then why are you yeah. pro the minimum wage in the first place? But anyway, keep going. I won't, don't let me interrupt. <laughs> okay, so the policy conference, yes. I'm encouraged by, by what I've seen. Uh, uh, I, I am very encouraged by the fact that they um, adopted the uh, job seekers exemption to certificates. I did not expect it, to be completely honest. I was really surprised. I expected that they would say they want to uh, defend Section 25 as it stands. Uh, they've been clear about that, so I'm. Uh, it's great that they resol- resolved on that, but uh, it's. Uh, I expected that, and I'm glad they rejected the qu- strict quota system uh, for their internal um, internal positions. So they're not going to apply a complete affirmative action thing uh, that goes against individuality uh, in the ranks. That's, that's great and all. Uh, we'll still need to have a look at what their other uh, resolutions were. I only know about these three. Uh, I really want to know what, what else they decided. So it's, it's kind of encouraging. But like I said, um, I think this was perhaps one of the last uh, kicks from the, the classical liberals in the DA. Um, the new leaders, they are not being trained uh, to be liberals. Uh, from what I've heard about their, uh, what they call it, their young leaders program or something, and, yeah, uh, they're yeah, they have these programs and stuff. I know some people went through it. It's not classical liberal stuff that they get taught there. They are taught to um, to favor the German social market economy. That is not a free market economy. It's a it's a kind of free market, but with a heavy social welfare state involvement and some regulations. It, they're not being taught the uh, the pure uh, well. The, the thing morality. is, I mean, uh, I saw a tweet from some DA bigwig. I don't, I don't know if it was an MP or Mozi Maimane or someone. And the tweet went something along the line. It might even be the DA's man account. I'm going to have to find it. Went something along the lines of. How can you say you are in favor of young people uh, getting jobs if you are not in favor of and then some subsidy or something like that? It's some government program. And, and yeah. when I saw that, it, it really, again, I, I see it like that from the DM. I'm like, oh, geez. Oh, well, things are not going good. <laughs> yeah, um, so I, I get the point that voters generally aren't, uh, they're not, uh, they don't really know the philosophy underlying yeah. uh, the policies of parties and the philosophy surrounding their vote, their uh, electoral position, the office of the citizen or whatever. But it is imperative for political party leaders 
and uh, functionaries in the party, especially those who are moving up through the party, to understand these things at the philosophical level. Uh, it doesn't matter if they, they don't have to share that with anyone else. They need to know that because that needs to trickle into their policy uh, and into and, and how they govern to actually show the people if we govern by the philosophy of this party, you can be vague like that, then things will go well. And it is trite. We already know that the free market is the best policy. There is no question about that. Uh, there, You can talk about um, the poor and so on. In the final analysis, the free market is better for everyone, not immediately, but within living memory, at, at least you use. It'll be a few years, perhaps, at most. But at the end of the day, it's going to be it's going to be great for everyone, the poor, especially the poor. Uh, we all, well, not all of us, but we know this, and the DA is supposed to know this, and they are supposed to teach their up-and-coming leaders, their uh, youth leaders, their DASO leaders. They need to teach this to them, and if they do not, and if these youth people do not agree, they need to leave, or they need to be made to leave. Because if they are left inside the party, as they are being left inside the party, the classical liberals who seem, seem to have driven this final policy conference, they will be gone soon and they will be replaced by people who will inherit this policy and they'll be like, yeah, it's okay, but um, we're a bit more woke now and uh, <laughs> we're going to change this and we're going to change that. And, and maybe, yeah, I mean, property rights, uh, it's such an antiquated concept. Uh, <laughs> let's let's try uh, state custodianship because that's progressive and the public interest and all these things. They They... They will do that. I can promise you they will do that while you and I are still alive very, very soon in, in the electoral future. So I, I'm encouraged by what came out of the, uh, the policy conference. I'm not encouraged by what the DA is doing internally. Uh, they are not training their youth leaders in the ways and, and uh, philosophy of, of liberalism. I'm not, I'm not saying they should teach them to become libertarians in the tradition of Murray Rothbard. I think I'm they not should. saying that. Yeah, well, that would be great, but that's not what I, ex I didn't expect that of them. I expect them to, every, everyone in the DA needs to understand John Locke, basically. Yes, of understand course. Understand what, what he, what he uh, wrote about. Understand why what he said is, is right. <laughs> you cannot be a liberal and say that John Locke was, uh, at a, at he, there's things that he said that were wrong, but on a very uh, basic level, you cannot be a liberal and disagree with what Lo John Locke said. Uh, then, uh, obviously, I would add uh, Frederick Bastiat. If you're a liberal, you need to have read the law and you need to have yes. uh, appreciated the the, um, the the implications of what Bastiat wrote in the law. Um, and, and, yeah, so just teach them the classical liberal thinking. And uh, that that's, that's a brilliant way to start. They are not doing that. The German social market economy... That is something that can happen when a country has been a capitalist free market for a few decades, a few centuries. Then you can start getting a social market economy because then your economy is rich. It is growing very fast. Then you can have a good welfare state because then it's going to stop. It's going to start. Uh, the growth is going to start going down. But that's you can afford it. You can afford your social welfare. That's what happens in what happened in Sweden and in Scandinavia. They, they had a free market. For a very long time, and then in the 60s or is it the 80s, perhaps they instituted a social uh, market economy uh, with extremely high taxes and extremely uh, generous welfare because they can afford it. 
and Germany, which has free higher education, they can afford it. People do not understand. And it's, it's sickening that people in the DA do not understand this. You cannot skip the free market stage and jump to socialism. I mean, even Karl Marx, he, he understood this. He's the one who wrote this first. You need to go through the capitalist phase first. South Africa has never gone through the capitalist phase. I do not care what they say about apartheid. Yeah. Any reasonable person who understands basic concepts knows that apartheid was not capitalist. It was not a free market. Give me a break. We have never had a free market in South Africa. We cannot afford these grand projects, whether it's a grand project of the ANC or of the EFF or of, of the DA. The DA's grand projects will also not be affordable in South Africa. So we need a free market. The DA needs to be for a free market in very unambiguous terms. And then, I mean, when I'm dead in 70 years, perhaps if, we have, if we've had a free market for 70 years, perhaps then they can start talking about a social market economy. That would perhaps be more appropriate. It's insane to talk about that now. We cannot afford it. Our rich people are leaving. They are offshoring their, uh, especially with the expropriation thing. They are taking their wealth out of the country. Uh, you can look at Davi Ruth, um, his talk at the Free Market Foundation recently. It's on the FMFC YouTube page. Is that the one where he uh, talks about YouTube. the budget? Yes. Oh, okay, uh, cool. He mentioned there that, um, I mean, he has a wealth consulting firm or something. He said that he, he's basically, all his clients, uh, the wealth is being taken offshore. And I think if you talk to any politically conscious wealth manage or asset management uh, firm, they're going to tell you our clients are taking their wealth offshore. And that is why we needed uh, that increase. That is why we're getting a carbon tax. That is why they're talking about a land tax. Because the wealth is leaving. We have fewer and fewer taxpayers in South Africa. We cannot afford these grand projects. Whether you're a DA member or ANC member, we cannot afford it. And sooner or later, at some stage, it's all just going to come tumbling down. Uh, a, ma a mass of people would have left. And then we're going to have big problems. Because when the ANC can no longer generate revenue, I, uh, <laughs> when you don't have money, I, I think the guns are going to come out in a very literal sense. Then we're going to join our African brothers and sisters as a proper African country then. Uh, so, yes, yeah. <laughs> if, we, if we want to avoid that, uh, everyone, especially including the DA, needs to realize that we need to stop standing on the throat of wealthy people. We need to stop standing on the throat of poor people who want to become wealth generators as entrepreneurs. We need to lay off. The government needs to stand back and let things fall where they may. It's not a very politically popular thing, if you put it like that. There are ways to package this thing. There are ways to ease ourselves into that situation. I'm not saying abolish all welfare. I'm, I'm saying that stop talking about increasing any kind of grants, especially if that's going to come uh, with a greater price tag uh, for the taxpayer. I'm saying abolish several departments, uh, the Department of Sport and Recreation. Yes, that's also my it, first it one. It should be obvious that we cannot afford such a luxury, even if it only costs 500 million a year. It needs to be gone. Uh, arts, arts and, and culture. culture yeah, yeah, arts and culture needs to be gone. Women, children, and people with disabilities needs to be gone. The police are responsible for protect, protecting women and children from abuse. I don't know why we have a whole government department that's dedicated to this. Um, consolidate the department. Uh, well, the two education the, departments. Yeah, either consolidate them 
or abolish the Department of Higher Education and let higher education be private. Uh, I mean, I know that's not going to be popular. That's but, a little bit uh, radical for now, I'd say. <laughs> And there's, there's a host of commissions and entities in our national government that just need to go because we simply cannot afford them. Uh, so, yeah, uh, we, we're, we're punching very far above our weight. For some reason, people think that we're a Scandinavian economy and that we can afford these grant projects. And, of course, they're going to rebut what I'm saying now and say, uh, usually libertarians, it's always about the money for you. It's about justice for us. Uh, it's the economy is stupid. You know, this is what, what I yeah. say is that you can't have justice if you've got no money. And it's uh, exactly. they also use an extended Marxist form of the term justice yeah, here, yeah. which means basically anything that they want it to mean. But I mean, it's, it, it comes down to the economy. I mean, what is the greatest thing for any poor society? It's not just, well, when you use the funny term of justice, it's like, well, if you have a job and you can feed your kids, you know, that's a lot better than... I don't know, taking down a statue or something like that, or yeah, increasing I mean, welfare. Great, one of the great liberal insights is that, uh, and then our, uh, the FMF is the FMF's chairman uh, Ayanda Kamalo yeah. said this at a youth um, a FMF youth event, I think two years ago, and I, I found that very great as, as the best liberal insight is that in the war between politics and economics. It may seem like politics wins, but in the long term, always, without exception, economics will always win. If you, if you do not get the, you cannot hurt economics. Economics isn't a, a thing that you can spite. You can't say, aha, free education, take that economics. Uh, you can't touch me. Economics does, the market does not care. It has no feelings. If you do not align your philosophy and your politics and your policies and your conduct with the market and the, the principles of a market, the market is going to hurt you. And it's going to hurt you bad because this is what happens in every single circumstance where people think they, in, in a war against the market, they're going to win. In Venezuela, people are starving. They are, they're probably close to eating each other, not even to talk about eating uh, uh, pets. Uh, Zimbabwe learned this lesson. They're backtracking a bit because they understood that you, uh, to an extent, you cannot um, challenge the market and, and win. Uh, North Korea, I, I think uh, the average North Korean is what an inch shorter than the average. Something average like South that, yeah. Korea. Yeah, and and that's not that's not a, a little regional peculiarity. That's because North Korea said. We're going to challenge the market, and we think we're going to win. The market re replied and said, no, I'm going to make you shorter. So <laughs> yeah. you cannot beat the market. The market permeates every facet of human existence. You're not going to win. You cannot win. You need, And this is the liberal insight. You need Whatever you do, you need to comply with the demands of the market. I'm not, and when I say this, people are going to interpret it as me saying the, the demands of the rich. That's not the market. The market is, is every single human being in the world interacting voluntarily, uh, pursuing their ends. That is the market. If you try and go against that, you're going to lose. And it doesn't matter how progressive you think you are. It doesn't matter if you think your policy is completely just. You are going to lose. Even if you don't immediately notice it, uh, you're going to lose. And we're all going to talk about it in the bread line eventually. Well, that is an absolutely scathing indictment of some of the problems the DA has. And I, you know, I think, it, once again, I, I seem to go back and forth. They do one good thing, and I'm like, oh, well, maybe there's hope. And I, then 
you know, but the, it, you're exactly right here. It's, unfortunately, the DA does sort of need to catch a wake-up call. It needs to stop being on a, on a, uh, going on a more left-wing path for the sake of populism and realize, like what you've said, is that the market always wins, no matter what. It doesn't matter how controlling you can be of the economy. People will always do the thing that will allow them to feed their kids or get a good night's sleep or whatever it is. They will do the thing which exactly. which tries to satisfy their needs and will maximize their utility in whatever circumstances that they can have. So I think what you've just, uh, you've gone on a very long speech there and I, I think some of my friends in the Democratic Alliance should really have a listen and, um, you know, they'll obviously disagree with you on some points, but just, uh, you know, have a, have a bit of a think about that. Uh, we've got a little bit of time left, so... Let's just talk about land expropriation, and, and I'll start off here a little bit because I, th- you know, this is a massive issue. It's something I'm very concerned about, and that's why this is this next election is going to be a single issue election for me. Um, however, it's very good to, you know, just correct a few falsified facts here. The first thing to note is that it hasn't happened yet, and that's important because we need to stop it from happening. And unfortunately, some of the foreign media has has blown this thing up and. I was hearing uh, Aaron Strutz talk on the Tom Woods show, and he had an opportunity to sort of correct Tom, I think, towards the beginning of the podcast. I'm going to have to double-check exactly what it was he said, but I, I see South Africans going on these shows, and you'll, you'll like Stefan Molyneux is another example. You know, he's had um, the people from St. London on there, and... They'll say these drastic things like, oh, the, the South African government has decided already to take away uh, property from white farmers specifically and genocide them. And you'll hear the South African guest be like, yes, 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 and then keep talking and not mention that, but not explicitly deny it. And that's a problem because we, we want to have a legitimate problem here and you can't have a legitimate issue if, if you're going to make up these crazy stories about it. So let's get one thing straight here. We've had a resolution that's been passed in Parliament. And this resolution is, well, maybe, can I ask you quickly, what does a resolution actually mean, legally speaking? You're the guy who's got a law degree, not me. Uh, Yeah, so I'm not sure what a resolution in South Africa's Parliament means. uh, But I I know that this resolution, it's, it's... it's like a, a decision that parliament takes. Yeah. I mean, parliament doesn't just make law. It can also make decisions about things. And the decision that it made was to investigate whether there should be an amendment to the constitution to allow for expropriation without compensation. So this isn't enforceable on anyone. You can't take anyone to court about the resolution. Uh, so it's just a, it's a, a statement decision of by intent. parliament. Isn't yeah, it's, right? it's like a statement of intent. Essentially, yes, that's that's the the feeling that I'm getting from this resolution. But it's by no means an amendment to the constitution. There is a very specific process that Parliament needs to go through to amend the constitution. This is definitely not that. Right, and that's what I think the campaign right now should be to avoid. So let's get one thing straight here: is we have an election next year. And whether or not the Constitution will get amended to remove property rights from this Constitution is going to come down to whether or not, correct me if I'm wrong here, two-thirds of the National Assembly uh, will vote in favor of that. Does the National Council of Provinces have anything to do with amending the Constitution, or is it just the one House of Parliament? No, the National Council of Provinces will need to also vote, but it's, uh, it's a foregone conclusion how they'll vote, so they will need six out of the nine provinces to uh, vote in favor of the resolution. So whatever, uh, so... Uh, I think that already sounds section, bad. 
uh, to, to amend Section 1 of the Constitution, which is the founding provisions, you need 75% of the National Assembly. Yeah. And uh, to amend anything else, you need two-thirds. But for the National Council of Provinces, whatever you amend, you need six provinces out of the nine. So it's always six out of nine. Uh, opposition parties only control one out of the nine. So it's a completely foregone conclusion how the National Council of Provinces is going to vote. But yeah, it's a completely useless house of our parliament. We don't need it, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> yes, well, uh, thank you for clarifying the uh exactly what is going on so basically that's that's what it's come down to now that is very now nothing's happened yet is obviously the key thing except for things like what you mentioned earlier when Davi Roth said he, he knows that wealthy South Africans are taking the wealth abroad um, I think pretty soon as we get close to this if it does become a reality we'll start to see some of the issues of people starting to hedge their bets uh, perhaps investing in foreign currency or just simply packing up and leaving and I think that's because the reality is for South Africans who <laughs> are wealthy enough to be affected by this, and I hate to say that, but, well, I mean, I shouldn't actually be putting it like that, because uh, if, if they go according to the FF's plan, nobody will have any property, so I'm actually, I think I misspoke there. But the point is that for South Africans like you and I, Martin, you know, we live pretty good darn lives in this country. I can't complain very much about myself. And if something catastrophic like this happens, it's not going to be overly difficult for people like you or me to buy a plane ticket and go somewhere nicer. Australia's already, you know, made us aware that they're sort of being welcoming. Um, the people who I'm very concerned about this is the, is the ones who will have to stay behind and deal with the carnage that could become of a country where every single property is not owned. It's conditional and everybody who lives there is a custodian to the state. So in my view, you know, this is really the, the campaign that should be fought domestically and abroad. I'm very concerned about people like Stefan Molyneux putting up a video talking about genocide in South Africa, which in my view is just a ridiculous conspiracy theory. It, it's not something that we need to be dealing with right now because it's now a straw man of the left. Uh, they can, If I say I'm concerned about property rights, they can go, oh, don't be ridiculous, there's no genocide. You know, and this yeah. this is not a, a freaking problem that we need right now. So, I mean, this, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I would think about that. So, so just quickly on the uh, the issue of the EFM versus the ANC, the the ANC does not have a position on the state becoming the custodian, the owner of all property. Uh, Jeremy Cronin uh, went to great lengths to explain this at the na the recent National Land Forum. It's nice. Uh, whereas the EFF says that. Uh, uh, the state must become the owner of all property. To me, there is a distinction without a difference here. Because the EF, the ANC says expropriation without compensation, uh, and if that is adopted as a amendment to the Constitution that amounts to just taking away the compensation clause. So there's another way. You can add something and say, under these circumstances, property may be expropriated without compensation. That's the second... That's second prize. That would be great if they do that instead of just taking away the compensation provision entirely. But if it comes down to taking away the compensation provision entirely, in te technically that does not amount to taking away property rights, but only technically. Because if, if you have quote-unquote property rights, but the state has a right to take that without paying for it, that, that is not property rights. And that is why the, the difference between the ANC and the EFF is, is superficial at best, because the state may as well be the owner of all property if it has the right to just take without paying, because that is complete insecurity of tenure for everyone. 
and this uh, this for everyone bet is important because this is what our I don't want to say representatives, but the people that are currently going out uh, to talk to foreign investors and uh, to to foreign governments and to foreign uh, thought leaders are saying is that this is going to be something where white people's property are taken. So let me make this clear. Any amendment to the Constitution will be non-racial. There will not be an amendment that says white people's property can be taken without compensation. This amendment is going to be non-racial, it's going to be race neutral, it's going to be collective neutral. Everyone's property is going to be at risk. And, and it's important because in the beginning it may uh, be a few white farms to get uh, the socialist excitement juices flowing uh, among the proletariat. But when, when the economy has collapsed and uh, everyone's poor, there, there's no rich people around, do you really think that President Malema or President whoever is going to think twice about expropriating the property of a black person, especially if that black person is in some kind of opposition to the, to the ruling class? You, you can expect to see some serious political, uh, or should I say... Uh, Sounds like the beginning of a civil suppression. war. Yeah. A suppression, a, a political suppression, a suppression of opposition voices that will come on the back of, of the, any kind of amendment that takes away the requirement to pay compensation. You can think like uh, think tanks will be raided and their property will be seized because of... Uh, they're committing fraud or something and no compensation will be paid. Uh, property is, 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 is fundamental to everything. It's fundamental to your prosperity. It's fundamental to your freedom. And something that people often don't realize, it's, important. it's fundamental to political opposition. It's as fundamental to a, a, a healthy democracy as freedom of speech is. Without property rights, you do not have a campaign headquarters. You do not have the right to. Uh, you, you do not have a Facebook page. You do not have any uh, way. You don't. Have, you, property rights provides a buffer between you and, and government. It's it's a, a safety net in a way. The Americans go a bit further. They also have guns that stand between the, them and government. We don't. Uh, we only have property rights and freedom of speech. So it's. It needs to be emphasized that this is a. Any playing with property rights provision will, will amount to everyone losing their property rights, whether it's the state becoming the custodian of all property or just compensation will not be payable. If that happens, it's done. Uh, no more property rights for anyone in South Africa, even if the property rights provision is still there, but without uh, the requirement to pay compensation. There will be no prop property rights for anyone. So it's, it's very important, the, the non-racial dimension to this. Yes. It's rhetoric, rhetorically justified as an anti-white thing by uh, everyone. To, uh, and everyone's talking about agricultural land. The property rights provision is not about agriculture. I don't know why pe people don't realize this. It's, it's, it's about property as a neutral concept. Any property, all property. Uh, but of course, the campaign for it is all about agricultural and rural land. It's, it's complete insanity. It's going to be race neutral. It, it's, it amounts to a deprivation of everyone's property rights. And, and yeah, uh, we need to get the message right because if this becomes, a, as it already has, if it becomes an anti-white thing in, in the global press, 
then it, it gives the, the left the it gives the left a, a, a scapegoat they can they can yeah. then justify doing it by saying oh look it's an anti-white thing it's fine yes. yeah, but this is the problem is <laughs> what are you going to say no no but it's not necessarily that they will say it's an anti-white thing so it's yeah. fine it's, it's about they're going to say uh, it's, it's, a, it's a conspiracy theory yes because yeah. it's, <laughs> it's simply not true that this is aimed at whites when it comes to a legal aspect. Of course, politically, it's aimed at whites, but it's not going to stay aimed at whites forever. Uh, property rights, if it's taken away, it can be anyone is going to lose their property if the government so deems. So internationally, as we've already seen, uh, seen that people are leftists, international leftists, Americans, British, they're already writing op-eds saying that this is a, a complete uh, loon fest. These are a bunch of privileged whites just trying to uh, uh, push a narrative yeah. that's completely false. Uh, and and it's true because it's false, that it's, it's not aimed at whites. We need to get the <laughs> message right and say that this is a government that is exacting tyranny upon all of its people without distinction based on race, because it's about to deprive everyone of property rights. That is what it is doing. That is what the language of the amendment will amount to if if the amendment is uh, just, uh, just amounts to uh, taking away of the compensation clause. That is what it will be, a government exacting tyranny on everyone. Uh, so if we make this a white versus black issue, we've already lost. We've already lost if this becomes white versus black. And that is why I go to great lengths in any interview that I do, in any article that I write about expropriation, is that this is not a racial issue. Anyone who feels uncomfortable about coming on board in favor of property rights because they feel it's a white thing, don't. Property rights, it's, it's, a, it's like money. It doesn't care about your race. It is simply fundamental to, to any kind of freedom for anyone. It's a completely non-racial thing. This amounts to a great tyranny upon everyone in South Africa. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a white versus black thing. Uh, it's not just about farms. It's about all property. And, and I mean, I think one of the, some of the first things that will probably happen is that the government will expropriate intellectual property without compensation. That is what I personally think are going to be some of the first properties that's going to be expropriated without compensation, intellectual property, uh, because the government has made a big issue about, um, for example, when, when they need to supply textbooks at universities and, and schools, they complain that international offers are charging insane rates. Yeah, great. So the first thing that's going to be expropriated are intellectual property rights. That's going to happen. Uh, and it's going to be non-racial. So people need, to, need a lot of clarity on, especially outside South Africa, but also inside we, a lot of white people in South Africa think that this is just a, a black government coming at them, uh, which is, it's, it's such a muddling of, of, the, of the facts. And, and unfortunately, I did hear this in, the, um, in some of the, the interviews that were done on by uh, some libertarians. Yeah. It, it's framed as the black majority is trying to deprive the white minority of, of property rights. Uh, that's that's a very unfortunate way to to go about it because this is the, the majority of black people are not trying to take away anyone's property rights. The ANC government and I I'm speaking under correction. I think they only have a mandate to govern from around 39% of the eligible ele electorate uh, because not everyone voted. A lot of people didn't vote. Um, 
So I think their mandate is, is far be below the halfway mark for uh, to constitute the majority in South Africa. And I, I've never had any reason to think that black people as a general collective have something against property rights. It's, it's, it's without a doubt true that uh, the EFF and the ANC are appealing to be uh, to represent the black majority. I, I don't think that's true and it's usually black politicians saying these things but yeah exactly you don't need to dig you don't need to dig too deep to find a white intellectual sitting behind these parties saying the exact same thing so it's not that the black majority this uh hive mind collective is now coming for blood from whites that's not happening uh when, when you look at the research by the institute of race relations uh, less than one percent of, or one percent of their black respondents said that the land issue was um, was a top priority for them uh, politically. Uh, they care more about, I think, the two biggest takers was uh, education and joblessness. That's what the black majority cares about. They want jobs and they want a good education. Now, when <laughs> Less than 1% of black respondents in that research said that the land issue is their biggest concern. Of course, you cannot say that the black majority is now oppressing the white minority. That's collectivist drivel. I mean, it's quite racist, it's not, actually. I mean, it's, it's, it's making an assumption, the political assumptions about an entire group of people. Uh, and it, look, it, it's just so incorrect. And but like you said, it's 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 already lost if we make this a white versus black thing. The good news is that it's actually not. The bad news is that it's actually a government versus literally everyone thing, and that's why yeah. it's such a cause for concern. Uh, I hate to cut you off here, but uh, I think we should sorry just round up for time reasons. Um, in the end, look from my side, I just want to say I think it's been a very productive conversation. If there's anybody internationally who's listening to this, I hope you can now understand that the situation here—it's got nothing to do with race. It's got nothing to do with tribal warfare between uh, various ethnic factions in South Africa. All this is about is the ability of the citizens of this country to be able to own stuff, and and this is anything. If we're talking about Martin mentioned intellectual property. Uh, it could be the desk that I'm sitting at right here. If the property right, pro, if the property rights clause gets removed from our constitution, anything that we own becomes conditional to the government, and and that is a recipe for ultimate disaster. Bob, thanks very much for coming on, um, and yeah, I think it was a fantastic conversation. Thanks very much. Yeah, thanks for having me, Nicholas. It was great. No problem. I'll uh, be uh, keen to chat again sometime about, uh, let's, well, maybe we can come back after the DA's uh, been more concrete about their, what their policies will be. Definitely. Uh, cool. Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Rational Standard Podcast. We had a very interesting conversation with Martin, and I think he taught us some important lessons about certain topics, particularly the Democratic Alliance. I must say it was quite a stunning indictment of them. But besides that, this is just a reminder to give us a like on Facebook. The name of the page is Rational Standard. If you'd like to read some more of our articles, you can sign up to our mailing list and you can do that online on our website, www.rationalstandard.com. And also, if you've got Twitter, follow us on Twitter, at Rational Stand, or you can also follow me, Nicholas Babaya, at Nick Babaya, B-N-I-C-K-B-A-B-A-Y-A. Uh, that's all from me. I'll see you guys next time. Thanks for listening.